Welcome to Christian Family Center. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy today's message as we preach on living, loving, walking, and influencing for Jesus. Be blessed. You know, we serve a living, active God, not a set of rules. We serve a God who can and He's willing to in- invade our world if we let Him. And my encouragement for every single one of us is let God invade your world as often as possible and see if He will not give you the suddenly moments that you're chasing. You know, we've been going through the book of Luke and uh, I was just chatting with Jason this morning and, uh, you know, we're heading towards the end of April and we're only in Luke chapter 5. We've done four months and five chapters. And, uh, but I'm excited about what God is doing and what He's teaching us as the church because we understand that when Jesus was born, it actually says that in those days, in those days there was trouble, in those days sin abounded, in those days there was destruction, in those days there was no hope. And it says in those days, hope came and his name was Jesus. Hope came and his name was Jesus. You and I have a hope as it was in those days, it is true in these days and will be true until that day that we see Jesus come and fetch us. You and I have a hope. So often when I hang out with people or catch up or, 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 or talk to people, be they believers or be they people who are not yet believing, and you start to talk and unpack the mess that's in their life, and you break it all down, it's because they've lost hope. They've lost hope in God. They've lost hope in His Word. They've lost hope in the completed work of the cross and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And when you become hopeless, you become depressed. And when you become depressed, you start to focus on you. And it's all about me. And you become more hopeless and more depressed and more self-focused. But Jesus came. Hope came. And you and I as believers this morning, without a band, should be able to get up and make a joyful noise to the Lord. Because we have hope. Even in grieving, it says, we grieve as those who have a hope. When someone is sick and we don't understand why bad things happen to good people, we still have a hope. And his name is Jesus. And if you've got yourself so tightly wound to Jesus, nothing can separate you from the hope you have. No circumstance. His word says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. His love is expressed through the completed work of the cross. His love was expressed through Jesus. And you've got to get this picture in your mind. You see, as, as we think we're educated... Greek thinkers. And so we read words. The Hebrews read pictures. And when Jesus taught, he used pictures so that they would get it. Can I ask you this morning, the picture I have in my mind is of you and me wrapped around Jesus and tied with a cable that cannot be undone. That 
is how we ought to be. When we're so wrapped to Him, we will never lose hope. It is the saddest thing to see when people lose hope. Because when you lose hope, you lose the will to live. When you lose the will to live, death is inevitable. Physically and spiritually. And we have something to hope for. We have something to believe in. Something to wait for. You know, as much as I say that I don't like gifts, I love gifts. Kind of worked out I, I love all the, lang- all the love languages except for one. And uh, I'm just one of me. <laughs> it's all about me. Uh, um, but when you know it's your birthday, when you know it's, it's, it's Father's Day, or when you know it's, there's a special moment coming, you wait in anticipation. And I don't care, no matter who you are. If, I, if, if I've got it wrong, just put your hand up. But we all wait in anticipation, even if you deny it today because you want to be stoical. That's cool. We all on the inside of us wait eagerly for something. We wait for a birthday. We wait for good news. We, and there's an excitement that starts to build towards that day. Now, you might not be waiting for a gift, but you might be waiting for something associated with something significant. We should be waiting for Jesus like that. That gives me a hope. That gives us all a hope. And I really feel this morning that God, I shared last Sunday night, I think it was last Sunday night, that I am tired of living in the valley of the dry bones. I am tired of our community telling us how we're going to live and what the result is. I am tired of hearing we're in a global economic crisis. Yep, that's the pattern of this world. We don't need to be a part of the pattern of this world. God wants to bless us. People can say, well, sickness is inevitable. Yep, I get that. I suffer from hay fever and sinus, the wind blows. I get it. Pollen and I start to sneeze. But I don't have to take it. I'll just leave that. I'm tired of living in the valley of dry bones because God has called us to live in the valley of fruitfulness, planted next to a river bearing fruit, in lush, green environment. That's where He's called us to live, in a place where there is hope because He is the God of all hope and Jesus is hope personified. Jesus came, and He came with such a hope in Him that it caused a stir in the people. At first, as Jesus was going around preaching about the uh, unpacking Scripture, people would flock to His preaching. He was this anomaly that suddenly started to share good news, suddenly started to preach truth. And there was an authority, an anointing with his preaching that brought change in the lives of people that people started to flock towards him wanting to hear him preach. Not only that, but the word was followed by signs and wonders. And so the freaks came along to watch the freak show too. People were there because stuff was happening. Jesus was not your passive little rabbi. He was a God-ordained teacher of truth. And it was his time. And as he started to teach, 
He started to teach about the kingdom of God. He started to teach that, that, that the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is at hand. And he started to teach along a line where those religious leaders felt out of control. He started to teach in a way that disturbed them and concerned them. You see, if you look at Luke chapter 5, where we are today, and if you haven't brought your Bible with in the newsletter, there's an excerpt from what we're reading. If you have a look at it, Jesus is busy doing what he does, teaching and healing. He's just come from calling Levi. Another name for Levi? Matthew, the author of the Gospel of Matthew. So he calls his first disciples, he heals a man with leprosy, he heals a paralytic, and then he calls Levi, he calls Matthew, a tax collector. Now you've got to understand, a tax collector in those days was um, one above a Samarian, a Samaritan. You see, a Samaritan was the lowest of lows, but a, a tax collector was just one above. And the only reason they were one above is because they were Jewish of origin. A tax collector was a Jew who collected money on behalf of the Roman government and took their peace on the side. So a tax collector was not only a traitor, but a traitor who profited from his own people. So you've got to realize, there was a genuine hatred against tax collectors by the Jewish people. And here they were this morning, that, that day, and Jesus calls Matthew, he calls Levi. And as he calls him, if you read in verses 27, 28, he goes out, he calls him, follow me. And I love verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Just an interesting side note. I love what Matthew does. He gets saved, and what's the first thing he does? He organizes a party to tell everyone he gets saved, and he asks the guy who led him to the Lord to come there and tell them about it. Not that Jesus was giving us any patents, just, you know, he got it right. But <clears throat> when you get saved, the first thing you need to do is tell someone about it. If you ever lead someone to the Lord, hey, organize a party. Do what Matthew did. Let's celebrate and... Uh, Ask me to come. I'll tell people about Jesus. That's what he does. And what do the, the religious leaders of the day do? They whinge, complain, and find fault with Jesus. Then when you read further, it says, John's disciples, they said to him, John's disciples fast and pray often. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. So they whinge about him eating with sinners, then they whinge about his disciples not fasting and praying. And the truth is, their question had nothing to do about fasting and praying. They were questioning Jesus. You can see it all the way through. Every time he does something or his followers do something, they were the first to pick up on it and they were the first to complain about it. And in this atmosphere of complaining, in this atmosphere, they say, hey, 
Your people don't even fast and drink. And you can just see, Jesus brings truth, but he does it with grace. And he says to them, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Now once again, when Jesus spoke, he was speaking Hebraically to a Hebraic nation. He was speaking for, as a Jew to a Jew. And he used picture words. He uses the word bridegroom. And when he uses the word bridegroom, it invokes a whole lot of things. Now, I know, for me, in my mind, I store things to smell and to music. So when something happens, and I smell a smell, it brings back a memory. When I listen to a music, it brings back memory. So in my mind, memories are filed by smell or by sound. Every one of us is different. I don't mind how you do yours. And so when Jesus then says the word bridegroom, he invokes a cultural context for them. He actually has them remember a whole series of events saying in our culture, when someone gets married, there is a feast that happens. And the bridegroom puts on the feast. And no matter what else is happening in town, everyone stops and comes to the marriage feast that the bridegroom is hosting and everyone comes and celebrates with the bridegroom. Nowadays, it's the other way around. But in those days, that's how it was. So when Jesus says bridegroom, instantly the Jew has a picture of a feast and everyone joining with the person responsible for the feast. If you want to read John chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, when Jesus turns water into wine, it actually says that the bridegroom has this big feast, um, has this wedding, and when the water runs out, and they say, well, to the guy who's running the wedding, wow, you brought the best wine out last. So the guy was responsible for organizing the celebration, and everybody celebrated with him. So Jesus says to them, hey, quit your whinging. These guys know who they are. They know whose they are. And they know where they are. He says, they know they're my disciples. They know I am Jesus, the Son of God. And they know that there is a celebration. We're celebrating the kingdom of heaven. Bridegroom here also refers to kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. So they were celebrating that the kingdom of God had come on the face of the earth and his name was Jesus. Hope came and his name was Jesus. So they've got this picture in their mind. And Jesus is about to give them three more parables. And he's going to use two with wine, one with a garment to explain something. So he's already got their mind thinking of the party. He's converted 600 liters of water into wine and the bridegroom's guest said, you saved the best to last. We've got to start building this picture in our mind. And he goes on and he says, remember they'd been whinging, they'd been complaining, they'd been saying to him, hey, this is the way we've always done things. 
Here are the rules. This is what the five scrolls, the Torah, the Septuagint, the Old Testament, this is what it says, this is what it always says, this is what we've done, this is what it'll always be. We fast and pray. What are your disciples doing? We hate tax collectors. What do you do? It's Sunday and you heal. What the heck? Who do you think you are? You're breaking every rule. Now, by modern terms, if we were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which we sometimes can be as the modern day church, before we point fingers at these guys, and someone came in and started to do things differently, how would we treat them? That's not the way we do it here. Hello, you got very quiet. If Alina decided to come and stand at the back and praise and worship and come and stand next to Lauren or come and stand next to Barry and just stand here. I forgot your name for a second. That's why I avoided you. And uh, <laughs> Sorry? It's Margaret. Margaret. And, and come and stand here and start to sing. We'd all get nervous. We'd start to shift and, and get kind of anxious and start to look around and go, where is she? She should be up the front. This is where the praise and worship leader... What is she doing? What is, what's Dwayne going to say afterwards? Oh, she's in trouble. His monobrow doesn't meet in the middle for nothing. Yeah. Just do something different. Just, do, just humor me. Do something different. There we go. <laughs> Half you got a fright. We woke the dead up and the living. <laughs> Thank you, Philippe. Just do something different. We come into church, we sit down, we sit still, and we're not allowed to make a noise. No. Oh, I'll deal with it now. Sometimes, Grace, can I pick on you? Sometimes, Grace will yell out, preach it. Teach me, pastor. And everyone turns around and looks at us and says, shut up, we're in church. This is a library, remember? Only the dead walk around here. No, I love it. Sometimes a lot of interaction when people ask questions can be annoying, and there's a balance in everything. But come on. And because Jesus was doing something out of the ordinary, remember he started talking and explaining scriptures to them. Scriptures that they were very comfortable with. He started doing these things. And then he started healing sick people. They were still comfortable with that because they had seen some of that, heard some of that. But when he started to talk about the kingdom of heaven, when he started to talk about the kingdom of God, when he started to do things out of the ordinary because he was God incarnate, he was extraordinary people started to complain because they didn't know how to answer and he says to them hold on remember a wedding feast they've got the groom with them now in other words he's saying hey it's party time there's going to be a time when they're going to fast but right now it's celebration time and then he goes on and he says he told them a proverb, no one puts a patch from a new garment on an old garment. If he does, he will both tear the new one and the patch from the new one will not match the old garment. Pause. We're going to, have to, we're going to touch on all of them. I'll come back and wrap it. Now, I didn't know this. But when I was in the police, I don't even know why I want to share this. But anyway, we will. Uh, when I was in the police and uh, in South Africa and Cheryl was pregnant with Jason and um, she was at work, I love to do creative things and I love to push boundaries. 
I love to learn new things. And Cheryl was away and I had a rest day and I was feeling kind of just frustrated. Didn't know Jesus back then, but I was feeling frustrated. And I thought, what can I do? Hmm, let me think. She's pregnant. I'm going to make her a maternity dress. Thanks, Lauren. That was a lot of confidence there. <laughs> I'm going to do something I've never done before. I bought her a new, a new sewing machine for Mother's Day, and I'm going to use it, or I bought it for Christmas or a birthday or something. I'm going to use this thing. And I went to the shop, and it was a very small town, uh, probably the size of Collinsville, possibly leaning towards Scottsville. Um, probably more Scottsville size. And we went to town and I said to the lady, look, it was everyone, knew everyone, this is what I want to do. And she laughed at me. I'm a policeman. I used to drink a lot of rum, shoot bullets, and you know, anyway, uh, teach people how to kill people. And she said to me, you're going to do that. And I said, yep, just give me what I need. Give me a pattern. Just show me on the pattern. I'm a boy. I can follow instructions. It's not that hard. Give me the instructions. Give me them what I need. And then just point me in the right direction. I want this dress done before my wife comes up. Nine o'clock in the morning, five o'clock. I want it done. Before she gets home, it's got to be done. So I did. I cut it. I sewed it. And when she came home, there it was. And she, we've got, I've got a photo of her in it. And she was suitably impressed. And she did the whole, love you, Dwayne, this is nice, awesome. Man, you're creative, this is good. And then she said, um, did you overlock the edges? For us blokes, it means uh, you've got to put a zigzag thing over the edge to stop it from fraying and running wild. I didn't. She said, um, did you wash it first? For us blokes, um, if you don't wash material, when you wash material, it shrinks a little. And so you've got things from that, because of the way I cut against the grain or with the grain, bloke term, um, it, it shrinks different ways, and so the thing could come out like that. And um, I said, no, what was I supposed to? You see, it was fine in the end. Cheryl fixed it up. And I don't think, we, we don't have it anymore, do we? No. We've got a photo to prove us of it. Anyway, so the, the lesson I learned from that day on is if you're going to sew with material, wash it first before you use it. For the simple reason is that fabric could lose a bit of color and it could shrink. And when Jesus is talking to them here about a garment, he says, hey, let me help you understand something. If I've got a new garment and I have a broken garment, a dirty old torn garment, and I want to fix the tear on the old garment. You don't cut a clean piece off the new garment and sew it onto the old garment. Because three things are going to happen. Number one, you've just ruined a perfectly good garment. Number two, the colors won't match on the old garment. Number three, because it hasn't been pre-shrunk and you sew it nice and tight to cover the tear, which already is a weak spot, and you wash it and that piece of material gets smaller, it's going to tear the edges 
and make the garment look worse than before. We need to get the picture. And he says, you can't take something perfectly good and try and take something from it and put it into something old and believe you're going to get the same outcome. You're going to end up worse than before. Plus you've ruined a perfectly good garment. The second thing he says, I'm going to come back to it. He talks about wine in a wineskin. Now, some Bibles use the word bottles. They didn't use bottles those days. The process of getting or making wine was that they would take the grapes, they would literally crush them with their feet. It would run through. They would, through a series of processes, put it in a vat. From a big wooden vat or a big clay pot, it would then go into a, a wine skin. Now, a wineskin isn't the little Spanish things that we see. I used to have one when, uh, before I got married. When Cheryl and I got married, I said, that's not going, that's mine. And I'd actually used it. Uh, it was just a leather little pouch that kind of looks like a teardrop. That's not a wineskin. A wineskin is actually a goat skin. Nine out of ten, it was goat skin. They cleaned the, cleaned the skin up. Then they sewed it up at all the different pieces and where the neck was became the nozzle or the opening. And they would pour into the new clean goat skin new wine from the vat, seal it and put it wherever they put it so that it would ferment. Now, for those who have never brewed their own alcohol because they're too spiritual to... Um, <laughs> joke. Please, don't take that the wrong way. For those that understand the brewing process with the wine and the yeast and everything that's happening there, the grapes, a fermentation process, gas is given off as a byproduct. That gas fills the skin. Together with the wine, the gas is trapped. It's got nowhere to go. And it literally stretches the skin. And when the wine is ready, they'll then pierce it and then the gas comes out and then they can pour the wine. That's the process. And he says to them, hey, if you've got an old skin, so what has happened to an old skin? It's had new wine put in it at some point. It's allowed the fermentation process to happen. It has stretched the skin till all the collagen, which is what gives the stretch in the skin, has been used up. And then it's used and poured out. And you put new wine in that old skin and you allow it to ferment, it literally will explode because it has no collagen left to move. It's got no room for move. It's been stretched to capacity and it will go bang and you will lose both the skin and the wine. And so Jesus is saying to them, hey, you can't put new wine into an old skin. Because when you do that, when you put new wine into an old skin, you will lose the wine and the skin. 
And so round about now, we're asking ourselves the question, what was Jesus trying to say? A lot of people, we don't often talk about this piece of scripture because there's a lot you've got to get your head around. It is party time, Jesus is there. There's a celebration happening because Jesus is there. His people on, and him are not doing what is the perceived right way to do things. And he says to them, you've got a problem. Remember, Jesus never really explained his parables to the people. He gave them the parables and walked away. He normally, his disciples would come and say, uh, what was that? Care? Can you explain that? So I can get it? And he would. You'd lose the old one. You'd lose the wine. You'd damage a perfectly good garment and you damage the old one. You see, Jesus was saying, you can't put new wine into an old skin. You can't put a new way of doing things into an old way of who you are. He said, if you want the new way, if you want the new way of, you want the new wine, then this is what you've got to do. You have to become new first. Because when you're new, you can hold the new thing. He talks about it in, in Matthew, uh, where is it? Matthew 26, 29. Jesus is celebrating the first communion and he talks about wine being a covenant. And saying, I'm giving you a new covenant, a new promise. In those days, he was saying that. He was saying to these people, hey, come on, can you see what I'm doing? I am doing something new. There is a new way to live, but I can only put it into a new vessel. I can only put it into something that is new that can contain it. Because if you're going to hold on to your old ways and try and put new ways in it, guess what? You are going to burst. Or like a garment, you're going to shred worse than before. So often, as believers, and this message for unbelievers as well, we go, I want to accept Jesus, but I don't want to change. I want the kingdom of heaven in me, but I ain't going to change. New wine, old wineskin. What's going to happen? Bang! And you're on above. As believers, the Bible says that we are a new creation. We need to fill ourselves with new wine. New me, new way. What are you and I holding on to from the past? What old wineskins do we have hanging around our houses? our lives. And we go, God, I struggle with this thing. And it's causing more damage than good. Garment, new wineskin, new wine. We want new wine, we've got to have a new wineskin. We have to be renewed and then have His new way in us together 
it brings the right fruit. Together. He goes on. After, and no one, after drinking old wine, immediately desires new one, for he says the old is good or better. Bridegroom, garment, wineskin, wine. He says anyone who's tasted the old stuff doesn't want the new stuff. We'll jump back to John chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. When Jesus turned 600 liters of water into wine, what was the comment of the guests? That the new wine was better than the old wine. After tasting, they saw that the last wine was better than the wine they had before. But most people go, I'm not tasting the new wine because it's new. Now, in my days before Jesus, I used to love red wine and you could taste vintage on the wine and you could even taste the vat, the type of wood that it was fermented in because the wood comes through in the taste of the wine. You can taste it. However, I worked in a pub as well. You feed people good wine up front, make them pay for it, then you change it to cheap house wine and they still pay for good wine and they won't know the difference. Been there, done that. Don't try that and go home, but you drink a couple of glasses of good wine, drink a bit too much red, good red wine, they can give you cheap house wine, you're still going to taste like good red wine. Your taste buds have lost the sensations programmed in your mind. Red wine tastes good, smells good, all good. And so the, he's saying to people, hey, this old stuff that you think is better, it's not. It's not. There's a whole new flavor, a whole new taste. If only you'll celebrate with me. If only you'll taste it. And if only you'll be renewed. If only you will be a new person for me. Then you can actually hold it, contain it, and produce the fruit that's required. So the question for you and I this morning, what old wine do we have lying around that we need to let go? Natalia, if I could have... What old wine do I need to empty out, pour down the sink? because it's not flavoured with Jesus. And what old wineskins do I have packed away, hoping to put some new wine in someday? We've got to let it go. The old wine's got to go down the sink. And the old wineskins have got to be destroyed. Jesus was saying to them, hey, guys, do you get it? Here you are, whinging about me hanging out with sinners and whether my disciples are fasting. And I'm here to tell you that there is something new happening. And if you try and mix that old with the new, you're going to end up with an accident. 
You've got to be totally new on the inside and on the outside. And then the fermentation process can produce the flavor for which the wine, from which the wine has its name. We can produce the flavor from which we have our name. Christ, Christians, believers, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And sometimes this passage can be a little hard to get your head around. It can be a little confusing. But it's simple. Let go what is old. Hold on to the new thing. His name is Jesus. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God needs to go into a new wineskin. Or it's going to cause more damage. My prayer as a pastor is that as a church, corporately, but individually as people, we will be people who have a new wineskin with new wine in, that Jesus at His will may pour us out into the lives of other people and that they may make the statement, Wow, Jesus! You saved the best to last. You saved the best to last. I've been tasting so much I shouldn't taste anymore, but this taste is another taste. And I want it in my life. And then we get to say to them, well, you want this new taste in you, you've got to become a new wineskin. You've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Get rid of the things of the past. Get rid of the old wineskins. Now please, I'm not preaching a message of change that says there's things in the past we've done as a church we've got to get rid of to make way for new. No, no. I'm not saying that. This is a personal message. It's about things in my heart, things in my life principles and philosophies and things I've believed. I was speaking with someone and they said to me, you know, I always grew up believing X, Y, Z. And then suddenly someone encouraged me to read the Word. Someone said, I actually said to this person, show me where it says that in the Bible and I will believe you and I'll be a convert of you. And they couldn't find it in the scripture. And they were distressed because their whole life, since yea high, they had believed a half-truth. At best. At worst, a lie. And they realized no wonder they had no power in Christ Jesus to live that way. Because it was a lie. New wine skin, new wine. What is it you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? 
Why do you come to church on a Sunday morning? Well, because my parents used to. Old wineskin, where's your revelation? Because if he tries to put his new wine into your parents' wineskin, old wineskin, because it's new for them, old for you, it's going to burst. You know, if next Sunday four people turned up for church as opposed to 104, but all four knew that God has put them here, you join the dots. New wine, new wineskin. God has made you new. His scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. When you said yes to Jesus, when I said yes to Jesus, we got a new wineskin. But some of us put it back on the shelf and said, it's new, I don't want to dirty it. I've got some items like that. People give them to you and go, oh, this is too precious. Uh, Claire went to the States and very rarely will you find um, the name Duane engraved on anything. And one of the towns she was in somewhere, she got this baseball bat that you screw the top off and it's a pen. has my name on. It's packed in my memory box. I've ne- I wrote once with it and it's packed there because it's the first thing I've been given with my name on it like that. I haven't seen my name that often on things like that. And I packed it away. It's not a pen, it's an ornament. But it's a pen, it's meant to be used. How many of us took our new wineskin and said, you know what, this is too precious for me to use. I'm going to put it on the shelf. And I'm going to take his new way of doing things and I'm going to pour it into the old me. See what how it goes. Your old you lost its collagen. It lost its ability to stretch. At some point, it will burst. Not Duane's revelation, Jesus' teaching. So you could be here this morning, holding on to old wineskins. Just in case you say you don't do it, um, if you want to just look at your Bible, how used is your Bible, for example? Oh, it's the Word of God. We're not writing this. This book is holy. No, no, the words are holy. The book is just a book. It's just a book. Writing it, scribble, read it, bend the pages. Now, I don't like it when people do it to my Bible, but I do it to my own. It's okay. Use it. Because it contains life. If your Bible is kept nice and neat and tidy, chances are, so is the wineskin. Oh, I won't go there. Stop. You've got a choice this morning. All of us do. Open the cupboard and allow the Holy Spirit, not the devil, Oh, the devil is standing right there at the door saying, can I open up and show you all the trash you've got? Allow the Holy Spirit, through His Word, 
to show you whether you have left the new wineskin up there and you're running with an old one or whether you're using the new one filling it with old things or whether you've got a new one with new things the third one is God's intent for our lives and in some areas we have wineskins that are renewed but we're still holding on to some old wineskins you see when they made wine they didn't just have one goat skin they had a room full of goat skins different processes stages in the process of being fermented We've all got multiple ghost, goat skins. Have we truly got a cellar filled with new goat skins, with new wine in it, being fermented as it takes on the fullness of the flavor of the grape? The wine is the covenant. Are we being fermented fully, taking on his flavor? If someone were to taste of you today, what would they call you? A cheap, nasty wine? Or a mature, full-bodied, flavored wine? Only you can answer that question for yourself. My prayer as a pastor is that as you walk out here today, that God would take the cork off you and start to splash you all over town. New wine. Let's deal with the wineskin here today. Let's deal with the content here today. You've just heard another great message from Christian Family Center. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions about today's message or Christian Family Center, feel free to email us at info at whitsundayacc.com.au or call us on 07 4786 5555. See you next week.